Emerald is the oldest and was the original inspiration. She's four and Autumn is two. Autumn loves my books. She laughs at all the silly banter between the characters and she will constantly go, her favorite one is my first one, what should I do today? And I think it's her favorite because during the pandemic, we were at my mom's house for a couple of months. We didn't have our stuff. And so the only books that we had, we had Good Night Moon, What Should I Do Today? And maybe like one other random book. And so I was constantly reading that book to her. And now I think it's just a source of comfort. She loves it. Emerald, on the other hand, does not love the books like I thought she would. Girl, I wrote this book for you. You are the inspiration. You should be in love with it. <laughs> Welcome to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. I am your host, Carolyn Barry. This podcast is for grandparents on the go with their grandchildren and for parents who want to ensure loving relationships across the generations. I welcome your input and your feedback on every episode of the podcast we produce. Please send me an email at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com or connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Grammy Adventure. Please follow or subscribe to my podcast. It's free so you won't miss an episode and ask your family and friends to do the same. You can subscribe to the monthly newsletter by visiting my website, adventureswithgrammy.com and clicking the newsletter signup link. Marquita Staples Green is the creator of Curly Crew Books, picture books that feature kids of color with curly hair, braids, and colorful beads. The mother of two young daughters, Marquita is passionate about helping babies and young children identify with diverse characters and discover the joy of reading at a young age. Before embarking on her writing and publishing career, Marquita worked in procurement, supply chain management, and marketing for several large corporations, including Ford Motor Company, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois, United Airlines, and Adobe. She holds a master's degree in business administration from the Tepper School of Business at Carnegie Mellon University. Welcome, Marquita. I am eager to hear your story about leaving the corporate world and embarking on writing and publishing children's books. When I had my daughter, we started to have story time on a regular basis, and I just found myself falling in love with the simplicity of the stories that we would read. Some of my favorites were Brown Bear and Hungry Caterpillar and classics, as well as little books that I would kind of pick up. That was when I really discovered writing for children. I've never been a writer like in school. I am an avid reader, but have never been much of a writer. That was kind of the introduction. And what I really liked most about children's books, especially like for that very young age, was just how you could have so few words, you know, a hundred words, 500 words for a more advanced picture book, and just tell this creative, fun story, mainly through pictures, but then you have these words to kind of augment it. One of my favorites is Good Night Moon. I think the poetry of that book is amazing. It's like classic. And I don't know if that was even the intent when the book was written, but it's just such a beautiful meter. So that was kind of my introduction to writing. I would say I'm still not great at it. <laughs> I'm still learning. And I go through an infinite number of revisions every time I write a book. 
to get it to the point where it's a story that flows and it's cohesive. And then the editing process makes it even better. But that's kind of how I got started on the path. Tell me what the reaction has been for your books. Do you find that the audience only are people of black and brown skin, or do you find different ethnicities are embracing your work? Interesting question. The reaction to my book in general, all of my books, it has far surpassed anything that I would have ever expected. So many people, family, friends, the person from high school that you really never talked to and suddenly like they're in your life. I mean, people are super excited about it. It's clear that this is the type of content people have been looking for. That has been really cool to see. I do see that the majority of my audience, it is composed of people of color. It's just natural. We are looking for the, the entire reason that I wrote my series is because I wanted these books for my children. I wasn't finding them in the store and I wanted to create books targeted towards very young children, babies to preschool, kindergarten, early readers. And there's there was not a lot out there, still is not a lot out there for that audience. So I think that my audience tends to naturally be like me. They're looking for these books. So for that reason, I do get a lot of black and brown people looking for the books. However, I also have a lot of non-minorities that also discover my books and are super excited about them. And it's the type of thing I, you know, I, I can recognize myself that when it comes to experiences that I'm not a part of, but I understand, for example, it could be being, being gay or being uh, at some kind of physical disadvantage. I am also interested in those things, but I'm not necessarily seeking them out because it's not my experience. So I don't really take it as a bad thing that I'm not getting a lot of people that are not people of color finding my books, but I take it as a great thing and a great opportunity when I get to be on a platform like this and spread the word. And then maybe someone that was not looking for this kind of story they hear about it and now they are a little more intrigued and then they're a little more aware. And obviously those kinds of conversations are exactly what helps move us all forward and makes us more sensitive to what we're all going through. I am so honored that you chose this platform and asked me to interview you. And I, <laughs> there's a part of me that's like, she's been interviewed at the New York Times and she sought me out to interview. So I feel really good about this. <laughs> Tell the listeners about your being interviewed in the New York Times. I find this absolutely fascinating and I'm so happy for you. Well, thank you. Interestingly, I think I reached out to you before I got in the New York Times. So you slid in before I became so much of a big deal. I'm not a big deal. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was really interesting. So I subscribed to the New York Times. I absolutely love the perspective that they have on so many different issues. And um, the particular segment that I was a part of, it's a part of New York Times parenting. They did, and I, I'm, I will have to send you the link to this because I think it's something that everyone should see. They did this article on the pandemic. It was called something like screaming or, or I, I can't remember the exact name, 
but um, it was a combination of an article that you could read and then it also had sound. And it was moms calling into this hotline and just venting. There were moms that were just calling in, literally screaming. There were moms that were calling in, telling funny stories, telling sad stories. And it's so, it's, it's really a work of art. So I was completely engrossed in that article and not thinking anything about myself or my books. And as a follow-up to that article, they, they were doing another piece on women that have, or moms in particular, that have made big changes as a result of the pandemic. And that uh, alone for me was just a, it, it's a huge story that I now recognize was just, I did go through a lot. But at the time I was like, maybe, maybe I have a story here. So I sent them an email and told my story, which just to kind of summarize what it was, so I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. I'm married with two kids. My husband and I met in Chicago. I lived there for a while. And then about six years ago, we decided to move to California. We didn't know for sure how long we would stay there. And we stayed for about five years. And around somewhere around year three or four or so, we started to think to ourselves, we kind of wanted to be a little bit closer to our family on the other side of the country because that long flight, especially when you have two young children and you want to see grandparents, it was hard. So we had started thinking about it. And then long story short, things kind of worked out so that we felt like we could make the move. And then the pandemic hit. And so we ended up, we were in Chicago when the pandemic hit, we got stuck in Chicago. All of our stuff is still back in California and we're like, what are we gonna do? And so we finally decided, you know what? We've been thinking about moving. Atlanta worked out for a number of reasons. And so my husband went back to California, packed up all of our stuff. Like we never even, me and the children never even went back there. For a few months, we kind of just lived in Detroit and Chicago and just sort of figured things out. And then finally in May, I call it Uno de Mayo. It's our holiday. I don't know. It's a horrible name. But on May 1st, we all moved. This is uh, May 1st of 2020. We all moved to Atlanta. And that's where we are now. And on top of that, I left my job and I started publishing these books full time. So there was a lot of change. My mother-in-law also sadly passed away. That's why we were in Chicago for her funeral. So a lot happened. And so uh, when I told that story to them, they decided, yes, this fits what we're doing. So I, I was interviewed by the journalist. She put together this amazing piece. I had a photographer come to my home. And then I was in the New York Times. And that was just a few weeks ago. And it's been amazing and bananas ever since then. That's really a great story. It's a hard story to tell because there's so many pieces to it. <laughs> I sometimes just don't even know where to start. Let's talk about your books. Now you have story picture books. You also have a coloring book. They focus on little kids who have curly hair. Tell us about some of the characters. There are six characters in the Curly Crew, three girls, three boys, and they all look different their hair is all different. And that was really the original vision. I was inspired by things like 
the Babysitter's Club and Rugrats and just all these different things that I grew up reading and watching, consuming as a child. And I wanted to create this group of kids, 90210 comes to mind. <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the preschool 90210, uh, Beverly Hills 90210. And these kids, they are all just experiencing things in life. So there are four books in a coloring book. The first book is What Should I Do Today? And it's literally each of the kids is saying, what should I do? And it's a book that's in rhyme. And they're like, should I blow bubbles? Should I cook with my parents? And it is really just meant to kind of introduce the characters and talk through this very simple, everyday, relatable thing for kids. The second one is I Am Not Sleepy. And it goes into one of the characters, Emmy, who's based on my daughter, Emerald. And it's bedtime between her and mom. And it's just a funny, cute story about how <laughs> how fun and interesting bedtime is because all parents and grandparents know that <laughs> bedtime is just a whole experience. And uh, the third book is I Love Being Me. And it's the children are all exploring the different parts of their bodies that makes them unique. And it's just a fun little it's a fun story, but also self-empowering. Fourth book, I Have So Many Feelings. It explores one of the characters, Gavin, and all of the feelings that kids go through because, again, we all know these kids, they are going through a lot and navigating all those feelings, it can be very challenging for them. So it's meant to talk about that. And the last book is a coloring book called I Am Magical. And it's a lot of all girly things. I mean, I, I didn't necessarily want to make a girl's coloring book, but all of the things that I wanted to illustrate were just, and I don't know if girly is the right term. It, it, it really does not matter. It doesn't, it's not about gender, but for marketing purposes, <laughs> a lot of the time when you go to Amazon, people are searching for coloring books for girls, coloring books for boys. So that's the only reason that I decided to kind of target it that way, but it has butterflies and unicorns and all that kind of stuff. And all of the characters are inspired by children that I know personally. A lot of them are from California because that's when I created the book. So it was my daughter's Emerald's friends and classmates. And I based a lot of the experiences on things that my daughter had been going through at the time. And that's what I continue to do now. Yeah. I'm looking through the coloring book now. I, I guess girly is not an adjective I would use, even though the pictures are more geared toward girls, but you do have a dinosaur, you do have cooking and puzzles, which are, and a robot. So yep. it is definitely not girly, but I, could see why from marketing you would say say girls I oh, love no, the I... coloring books because the kids can can be creative within a framework so that's really that's really cool now you have to make one for boys absolutely and that was the one good thing about it I'm like well this sets me up so that I have to do another coloring book which I would love to do that although it's interesting I will say coloring books and I'd heard this uh, and, and this is just interesting to know for anyone in your audience that is consider, considering creating one. They are difficult to market. They're, if you go on Amazon, there are a lot of coloring books and there's something about them that makes it a little harder to get people's attention. I think it's also a lot of 
very low cost competition. You can go to the dollar store and get a coloring book. But it, it has challenged me to find other ways to market. So bundling it with other items and putting it in local bookstores, things like that. So I'm still super excited about it. I am super proud of it and love it. So I don't care if it sells, honest. I want it to sell. But either way, I love it. Are you an illustrator as well? I know it, you have a, it says pictures by Julie Kaufman and Marquita Staples. So what is your background in illustration? Yeah, so that was interesting too, how that came about. My background is, first of all, pretty non-existent. I did the same thing that most children to adults do. You draw when you're a kid around fourth or fifth grade, you don't have to take art classes anymore as you start to kind of get into more of your academic thing. And I hadn't really drawn a picture since elementary school. And so my last corporate role was at Adobe, which they make Photoshop and all those creative programs. And so I worked around creatives for for my role never expected that it was something that would rub off on me but I found myself wanting to experiment with drawing and drawing digitally so with an iPad and Apple pencil I sort of started playing around with it and I would take some of my daughter's books the ones that had illustrations that I loved there's one in particular called I Can Do It Too. And it was my biggest inspiration. I just love the illustrations in that book, a gentleman by the name of Ken Wilson Max. And I attempted to kind of recreate some of those drawings just to see if I could do it. And before I knew it, I had a very strong vision for how I wanted my characters to look. So I decided to illustrate the books myself. So the first three books, I was the sole illustrator, did all the illustrations. The last two and moving forward, I'm going to continue to work with an illustrator, Julie Kaufman. She's amazing. She's pretty early in her career. And I think I'm super lucky to have found her. She does in hours what it takes me weeks and months to do. So she's been awesome at doing the illustration. So when I say that the pictures are by both of the both of us, there are some illustrations in the books that I've done. There's some that she's done. In general, I will tell her the overall direction and I will put what's called thumbnails together of like kind of stick figures of how I want a scene or a character to look. And I'll I'll add some notes, like he should be laughing and that should look very exhausted or things like that. And then she'll turn around a completed sketch of what I had in mind. And then I've been doing a number of things to kind of work with her. And then I've found some other contractors that are able to fill in and help with different parts of the illustration process. Because what I've found in a lot of children's book authors, you probably have found yourself in this position as well. You run into this thing where you're so dependent on an illustrator and it can It can be okay if that illustrator is consistent and if they're not too busy, but if you're in a situation where they just can't get to your book, you have to wait. So I've been really working on building some redundancy so that I can always have someone working on the book. And I, I also can go ahead and make updates as well. It's a great business plan. It is a difficult one to keep going, but 
it works for me. And then you also asked about graphic design. Again, it does help a ton that I had access to these Adobe products. I also have InDesign and I do all the layouts for my book. I do hire a graphic designer to do the covers and some of the more difficult outline work and also to just to go back through and touch up what I've done. Because again, I fully acknowledge that I'm not great at this because I've been kind of scrappy and just learning on my own. So I definitely use the experts when I know that they can put a little polish on it and make it look even better. I like your philosophy. That's really cool. Let's talk to grandparents. You, you mentioned about how your mom misses your kids because you are in Atlanta. She's in Detroit. How do you manage that long distance relationship? It's so much better now that we have just a two hour, really like a 90 minute flight between us versus when I was in California and it was a four hour flight. So that was probably the biggest thing to help. I would say we probably see grandma about every other month. And whenever that happens, it's usually for a couple of weeks that we may be there in Detroit or my mom may come here. And the kids are like, even this morning, first thing this morning as my daughter's in bed with me trying to get me to wake up. I want to see grandma. Let's go to grandma's house right now. Even though we get on an airplane, my daughter still seems to think that we can just kind of snap our fingers and be at grandma's house. But <laughs> we absolutely see her as often as we can. FaceTime is huge. She hated FaceTime. She still hates FaceTime. I tell her I don't care. You, your kids need to see you because my kids are now a part of that generation that when they hear a voice, they expect to see a face that goes along with it. So we do lots of FaceTime calls probably every other day. Then it's just the amazing thing about my mom is my, my husband calls her Peter Pan <laughs> because she really is like a big kid in a lot of ways. And she can make anything fun. She's all about the kids. Anything they want to do, she's there for them. She's the parent that's going to be at the kids' table helping them put the crafts together or she's going to be in the pool with them, playing with them. She's such a fun person and she enjoys that grandchild time so much that anytime we see her, it's just, it's, it's amazing. So I'm just glad that we get to spend as much time with her as we, as we do. And it's so important for your children and for your mom. I think people don't necessarily appreciate the fullness of the grandparent-grandchild bond. I totally agree. I, unfortunately for myself, three out of four of my grandparents died when I was very, very young. And the one that was left, I, I was not in Detroit at the time, so we didn't have a close relationship. So it's a relationship that I never had. And when I see that relationship between my children and my mom, it is truly magical. And I had an interesting debacle that just happened that maybe you can even relate to where, so my mom is 71. So she's still young enough to enjoy things and she's, she's good, she's healthy. But also because she's older, I always want to be respectful of her energy levels. And there's some part of me that feels like it's now time for me to take care of her. And so I went through this period where I felt bad asking her to do things. And I would 
kind of insists like, okay, mom, just come and you don't have to do anything at all. Just be there for the kids and play with them. And there were two things that I now realize in hindsight that happened because of that. One was I was more stressed out because I'm not getting this help. And two, not that she ever said this to me, but I would just think that naturally she felt underutilized. So when she was just here, she was just here about a couple of weeks ago and my daughter turned four. So we had a birthday party and then there were just all, we're always doing a bunch of things. We're buying things for the house or whatever. I asked my mom to do everything. Like there was a TP that needed to be put together. I'm like, mom, put this TP together, which I would never ask her to do. She complained the whole time, but I honestly think she enjoyed putting that TP together. And, you know, I put her in charge <laughs> of the goodie bags for the party. And then also at the party was a pool party. She stayed in there with the kid, with the younger kids, like the babies and was pretty much lifeguard for them. And like any time I needed anything, I was just like, Hey mom, can you please just take emeralds and, you know, do, do whatever with her, change her clothes or get her ready for school or whatever. And again, at one point I would have felt like I'm asking her too much, but I mean, she's a grown woman. She'll tell me if she doesn't. And she does tell me, she'll be like, uh, no, I don't want to go to the park right now. It's too hot or whatever. So that is something that I, I'm so glad that I finally realized that because she is truly a godsend. She's so helpful. And like you said, for her to have that relationship too, I can tell is very valuable to her as well. There is research that says being involved with your grandchildren really helps keep you young. And I firmly believe that. I think when you look at physical disabilities and health-related issues, most often, and, and I'm not talking disease, but most often illness and falls and physical limitations occur because of inactivity, not keeping your muscles strong. You tend to overeat and things just go south really fast as far as health. So by staying active and taking those walks or riding a bicycle or pushing a stroller really has health advantages to the grandparent. And I just think it's a win-win for all the generations. And it's nice to hear that you have that loving relationship with your mom. And she, uh, obviously she knows you appreciate her and that she appreciates doing things with the grandkids. It's, it's really heartwarming. I'm glad you have that. Thank you. Me too. But it's, it's amazing how you don't even realize the blessing that children will be to your life. I mean, and it is, it's created a different type of relationship in a great way between my mom and I too, just by us having these grandchildren to bond over. So it's, it is absolutely a win, win, win for all of us. I have one more question to ask, and that is what is your mom's reaction to your publishing career, writing and publishing career? <laughs> it is actually really good. So it's always, it's, it's always challenging when you're and, and I've, I've got a history of having these projects. I've always been kind of entrepreneurial and I come up with things and I kind of act on them. And so anytime I do that, I'm very nervous about the reaction from everyone. And my mom is definitely one of those people. 
And so I was nervous about this book venture for a number of reasons, especially because I was quitting my full-time job and, you know, most people in general, and especially as you think about more older generations, it's the stability is important. And so I'm like, I know my mom is going to be like, why, why are you doing this? And is this even serious? But she has been so supportive. She shares everything that I put on Facebook. She's like constantly in the share button, constantly telling people about it. She tells her friends about the stuff. She has friends that want to order the books. And then she's, she absolutely has her request in for me about the next books that I'm going to do. So there for sure is a grandparent <laughs> book on the horizon. And that was something that she told me I need to do. Um, my, one, <laughs> one of her. my books, yeah, she's like, I'm going to take advantage of this. One of my books has a grandparent in it. And that was directly because of her feedback. She's like, where's, where's grandma? Why isn't she in this book? I'm like, you're absolutely right. Grandma should be in this book. So my mom has been amazing with all of that stuff. It's it, again, it's another thing about this whole journey that has just been really cool to see it, uh, just that level of support that I didn't expect. I know you have to run. So I would like to give you the opportunity to address the listeners and share what you feel is important for them to know about your books and why they should buy your books, where they can find you on the internet, and just any words you want to say to them. My books are. It's the Curly Crew series. So I can be found everywhere with Curly Crew Books. CurlyCrewBooks.com, Curly Crew Books on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. And you can also reach out to me directly if you have any questions or just want to connect with me, Marquita at CurlyCrewBooks.com. I am super proud of what I've created. I mentioned I have four books, four picture books and a coloring book. I'm launching another book about going back to school that'll launch in August. And I am also going to be launching a Kickstarter very soon. And this is so that I can print board books because one huge gap in the market is when it comes to board books, which are the hard books that babies can't destroy. There are not a lot of books that feature characters of color. And so I am working to convert all of my books to board books. And for this first one, I'm launching a Kickstarter. I would absolutely love if, if my message speaks to you at all, if it resonates in any way, please do follow along in my journey. And then when I launch that Kickstarter, I would love any support and also just for anyone to share. I, I think I, I am now seeing that I am here for a purpose. And that purpose is for young kids of color to feel seen and heard. It's also to increase literacy. It's to help young children fall in love with reading at a very young age and also provide an experience so that parents and children can bond over these books. We have a lot of work to do in our communities of color. And I believe that literacy plays a huge part in getting us the the wealth and the community and all of those things that we need. So I I hope to continue to grow my platform and just speak to these children and parents and grandparents very importantly in in all of those different ways. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. 
You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.